life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot back down in May. I think we come from a place where there's a whole lot of stereotypes. You know, they always throw us under the bus at that, you know, that redneck country, right. you know, all that crazy crap that, you know, Hollywood puts on us. So, yeah. It was all about that, too. It was like, I really want to do well, but also I want to shine for my people, for my state, for, you know, for, for the people that where I'm coming from because I don't want to I don't want on TV and make us look bad than they already think we are so that was the that was the fear Welcome back, Mountaineer Media Podcast fans, to another episode. CJ's with me here, of course, and we had the chance to speak with Landau Eugene Murphy. And if you're in West Virginia, odds are you know that name. Landau was an individual who won the 2011 America's Got Talent. He represents really what is, you know, he went on to have this fame and he tours around and he plays in Vegas and he's met a lot of cool people. But you guys are going to hear from this episode, he's still the same Landau that's from Logan County and he's still connected to the people. He still, he just gets what's right in life. That's like the fans, the people, like really making an impact, like money, fame, all that probably has been nice for him. He's enjoyed it. But I think what really drives him is his connection to his fans and his people and the impact that he has on his community. Um, so CJ, it was, it was really cool to connect with this West Virginia legend. Um, what were some of your takeaways? Yeah, and you know, he's in Logan County right now. That's where he's at during this whole COVID quarantine. And it's given him a time to do a couple of things, a bunch of which we get into during the, the actual episode here, the actual interview. But uh, like you said, an, another down to earth conversation with a guy that uh, really represents the state really well. It was an easy flowing conversation with a guy that you felt like you've known your entire life. With that, let's get down to it. Landau Eugene Murphy, Mace at the music. does not always shine West in West Virginia, but the people always do. I know of no state, and I know this state well, whose people feel more strongly, who have a greater sense of pride in themselves, in their state, and in their country than the people of West Virginia. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Today, another very special guest, the winner of America's Got Talent and recent recipient of the GED, which I know he's extremely proud of and, and we will get to, Landau Eugene Murphy. Buddy, how are you today? I'm good, man. How's everybody doing? Yeah, we're, Super well, man. Yeah, we're well. And, and okay, so this is kind of where I wanted to start was Going back to uh, 2011, how often do you actually get on YouTube and go and watch when you were announced the winner? Does that still like kind of bring tears to your eyes? Do you do you go back and kind of watch that and try and relive that moment, or, or yeah, not so much? I can't watch it. It's always somebody like like if I'm out with family or friends or just randomly out at the mall or something before all of this stuff happened people would like pull it up and, and you know watch it right there in front of me so it's just like i turned my head i can't watch it 
they okay and watched it is dead. That's got to be, I mean, but at the end of the day, that was like such a, a life-altering moment because even back then for all of us that were watching it, it was, it was almost, it was like one of those unique moments for any West Virginian that have kind of seen anything like that. It was just like, wow, this guy, I mean, he, he, he got over that hump, you know, he, he, he broke the barrier. He did something that hadn't happened before because it, ultimately that changed your life and, and probably, I mean, definitely inspired you know, thousands of others, countless West Virginians. But uh, so immediately after that, you, you, you get the money, you get the deal with NBC. What kind of happened then? You know, how, how did life change the very next day? Did you wake up like uh, things were normal or, or was it just like, uh, was, was life ultimately just upside down, complete 180? Yeah, complete 180. I mean, it's a life-changing moment. You know, everybody knows you can't go to Walmart or the people Weekly no more. things are different yeah you know what i'm saying it was just you know everybody becomes your family and cousins and new friends i mean i just embraced all of it because it's part of it you know you just it's it's basically what you sign up for what you put yourself on that type of platform all of that stuff comes along with it so i just embraced it you know i kept my feet flat on the ground and, and just you know, slap and pinch myself just about every morning for about a year. This <laughs> is great. Yeah, I mean, so and Landau, take us. So, so many folks listen to this. If you're in West Virginia, odds are you've you've heard of Landau Murphy Jr. You know, you 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 win America's Got Talent, right? You you go on now, like you you tour around, and we'll we'll skip to that. But let's let's jump back. Like you were that being such a crazy experience for, from you because you're from West Virginia. What was it like growing up? Was that always a dream or when you were like a child, like growing up was in Logan County, right? Was that mm-hmm. something on your mind or how did that even come to fruition? Uh, just having a lot of siblings and cousins, man. We, we danced and, you know, act like different groups in the living room. You know what I'm saying? And made up dance routines, things like that. The singing was like the second thing. I, I started off like just loving the dance, you know, mm-hmm. with, you know, I picked up singing probably when I was, you know, I, I would say around 15, 16, actually singing to let somebody hear me, you know, and it started off with headphones and then people would tell me that I could sing. So it was like a, a way of me doing it without having to worry about any criticism until, you know, I actually took those headphones off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? But um, I just been doing it since I was little, as far as I know, you know. You know, Bugs Bunny is a big credit to it all. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some of those merry melodies. You know, they used to make fun of the Rat Pack and Bean Crosby and Frank Sinatra would sing a rooster. They would sing to the chickens and stuff like that, and they would melt. I mean, there was just a whole lot of things like that. Little Debbie's commercials, the Motown 25th anniversary, they gave a shout out to Nat King Cole, and they, he sung a song called uh, Mona Lisa Smile, where they showed a clip of him singing that song. And that's my mom's name. So me and my little brother would always sing that song to my mother. You know, Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa. <laughs> we would sing that to it. So it's just something that I just picked up. You know, I didn't know it was going to change my life at that time because, you know, where I grew up at, you know, half of my life, I grew up in Detroit. So that's the hood. It was just... You know, by the time I was 11, my parents split up. So I, I was moved to Detroit in like 84, 85. And 
but saying those songs on the basketball courts to stop people from having shootouts over a foul call or something on the basketball court. You know, I would sing Fly Me to the Moon after I dunked on somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it became like deaf comedy jam, you know, to, to the people that I was, you know, living around at that time. They just thought it was hilarious. But I had a boss by the name of Paul Steele that took me to a place to show me what I really had. And he took me to like a rich upscale place. And, you know, um, and he asked me to sing the same way that I sing in the wash bed, just to see the reaction of everybody. And when we walked in, everybody was talking, eating, you know, nobody's paying attention to really anything that's going on in the room. They're just in their conversations. He goes and gets a microphone, hands it to me, he was like, start singing. And I started singing and you can hear every fork drop in the room. <laughs> Like what? And everybody just stopped, and I just—it shocked me. I just kept saying it. Yeah, crazy. And and I think that's what's so unique and cool and and really powerful. It's like, and and I didn't know this until just you explaining it right now. But I mean, it wasn't didn't set out to be a, a musician, which I think most of us kind of knew. But it was the music was, was, it was fun. It was a, a diffuser for people. It was just a way to, to break the ice for a lot of people. Exactly. And, it's, it's yeah. Blue sky puffy cloud music, you know, everybody can relate to it. And it's, it's good for the generations to come. So they don't, you know, take that wrong path of putting out all this negative music or, you know, negative things, you know? And so I felt like if I'm going to go on television, I need to bring back something for the grandparents of the world, you know? Maybe, you know, Golden Girls yeah. is gone, you know, gun smoke's not on TV anymore. <laughs> let's give something to the grandparents. And plus, you know, that's the wow factor. You got to realize on those TV shows, They've seen everything. People seen an audition tapes every day, all day long. So they've seen everything. So my thing was to stand out. I mean, I could have went on and did hip hop, but you look at me, you right. see it. I could have went on there and did, you know, Motown or R&B. You see that, but you never expect Frank Sinatra to come out. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. So, so yeah, so so when you were going through that did you how did you catch wind of like how to apply for that was it did you like send in tapes and recordings or is it just like you just sign up and you just make it through the levels like walk us through that early process before like when you kind of just well what the hell i'm gonna give this thing a try was that kind of what it was like yeah i was at the end of my rope at that time it was um you know it was a low point in my life i had ended up getting robbed while I was away, like doing things for nursing homes and stuff like that, somebody went to my house, took my clothes, all my furniture, cop right on the walls, everything. So I was just sitting in my room and I had, I was just mad. I remember being mad. I was sitting at my uh, my ex's mother's house and I was just sitting on the bed, like really mad. And I thought to myself, like, wow. I have nothing to lose, you know, it was just like God was just telling me, you've been performing for your friends and family since you were like three years old, so what do you have to lose right now? Everything that you ever had right now is gone. I'm giving it to somebody else. <laughs> Whether you see it as a robbery or not, this is the fire that's going to make you go use that gift that I gave you. And that's what it did, you know, I, instead of taking that negative path, you know, I, I went into the other room and signed up. And it's crazy how it happened because I was so mad and I was just thinking negative. And then it was just like the commercial came on right there in that moment. It was how it made it. Are you the next whatever works got to count? 
Do you have what it takes to headline your most show in Vegas? Are you our next million dollar prize winner? And I was like, what? I just kept looking at the TV like, you gotta be talking about it, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Why can this commercial go on right at this moment? Yeah. yeah. And I go in another room, like right after having all of that epiphany and everything, you know. I went into the other room and signed up online. I waited for like six weeks for a confirmation email. And then once I got that, they told me they was going to give me a phone call. They gave me a phone call. My ex hung up on them the first time. <laughs> she was phone up. My ex hung up. Like, yeah, right. Click. You know? <laughs> and luckily, they called back. When they called back, I got on the phone. They asked me, how did I want to send in my audition? You can do it like a couple of ways. You can send a video or you can go to several different states. So I felt like, you know, for me to, you know, do Frank Sinatra and really have an impact, they really need to see my personality along with it. So I just scraped up all my money and, I, and I, I've set my audition for New York. So I went to the Jacob Javits Center about, you know, 5.48 in the morning, stood in wow. line, wow. didn't get into the building until like maybe... 6 p.m. Wow. And then went through a whole nother slew of lines. And then I auditioned at maybe like 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. Wow. Yeah, and, and that was it. You know, they sent me home, told me to lock myself in the room because you can't have anything on your record for 10 years prior. Like, you can't have a speed dude, you know, nothing. So <laughs> they told me to just go home and lock myself in the room. You know, after I I found out that I was going to be a part of the show. Wow! Now, yeah. was that the first time you? Is that the first time you really had auditioned for anything? Was that like, were you like confident, like I'm going to come in here and crush this, or were you like, I don't know, man, this is just whatever happens, happens? Like, well, see, the thing is, um, doing those nursing homes and all of these royal places, royal areas, and here in West Virginia, kind of groomed me for it. You know, I wasn't. I was nervous because I'm human, you know, you get butterflies in your stomach, it's an exciting moment for you. So yeah, I, I was I was terrified, but at the same time, being scared is kind of like my fuel. You know what I'm saying? I turn that into the power of performing. You know, because you can get up there and you can sing a song, but if you don't have the emotions and the feeling behind it, people will just look at you like this, like you sound good, but you're boring. Like, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? so, yeah. But my fear is what makes me perform, you know, just being scared. No one, everybody's watching me. I mean, I'm all over the stage. So, yeah, man, that was that was a, a, a very scary moment. But at the same time, God had already groomed me, you know, through all the nursing homes and, and homeless shelters, singing and, you know, uh, arts and crafts festivals here in London. Yeah. Um, you know, singing in bars, just, you know, doing all that stuff. And I got used to... If a heckler was to ever say something, I'm, I'm very comedic, you know what I'm saying? So I can yeah. come back like, so quick that I'll make you like get up and leave the room. Turn, like, turn back I, yeah. <laughs> Right. So I was I was ready for whatever, but it's just like the fear comes from from me not wanting to mess up, not wanting to miss a, a lyric, not mm -hmm. wanting to, you know, trip on my shoestring when I walk out of the stage. Or, yeah. You yeah. know, and then the fact like he said in the beginning of the thing, we come from a place where there's a whole lot of stereotypes. You know, they always throw us under the bus at that, you know, that redneck, 
country, right. you know, all of that crazy crap that, you know, Hollywood puts on us. So yeah, it was all about that too. It was like, I really want to do well, but also I want to shine for my people, for my state, for, you know, for, for the people that, that where I'm coming from. Because I don't want to, I don't want to on TV and make us look bad than they already think we are. So that was the, that was the fear. We can lie beneath the starlight. That's where I wanna be. As long as you agree to come home to West Virginia with me. So let's kind of wind it way back. You're born in West Virginia. Um, and then you moved to Detroit. I can only imagine that that was like uh, quite the shakeup. But then you drop out of high school. You work a little bit up there, but you ultimately move back to West Virginia. Uh, Take us through that. You know, kind of tell us why. Why did you feel like high school wasn't at the time the the reason that you needed to be there? And what ultimately led you back to West Virginia? Why did you feel like this was where you were supposed to be? Yeah, so like I said, in like 84, my parents split up. My mom moved me from West Virginia to Detroit. So that's like going from God country to little Baghdad overnight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. 84, 85. It's the boom of the crack era. So everybody that was 11, 12 years old that I was playing with in Sandbox with G.I. Joe's was still making three grand on street corner and then coming back to the sandbox like and I didn't understand I'm green. I come from West Virginia. You know, yeah. I didn't know why they was running up to those cars or why they were coming back when they're in the pools of money, you know. But <laughs> we all went to the corner store and got a soda pop or you know, whatever we was gonna get at that time, but it was just crazy. And so I grew up in that environment, you know, here in West Virginia I was probably the only black kid in my class besides my cousins and sister. But when I got to Detroit, it was only one white kid in my class. So I understood what he was going through at the same time. But like I said, if you ever watched the movie um, Lean On Me, mm-hmm. with Morgan Freeman as the, uh, the principal, Crazy Joe, that was basically like the school that I grew up in. It was called Redford High School. They actually tore down now, had metal detectors. When we walked in, we had to have student ID. I mean, like I said, this is 80. You know what I'm saying? He had a mini police station in the basement of the school, like real Detroit police cops. Like, wow. we didn't have hall monitors. We had like real police officers. <laughs> so at the time, you know, in the neighborhood that I grew up in, it was surrounded by other gangs. And, and whatever neighborhood you come from, whether you're in that gang or not, you're still affiliated with that neighborhood, you know? So when we went to school, you went to school with school crab boys, the PAs, Puritanab dudes, you know, uh, S&S, you got all these different groups around you, but you can't focus on, you know, world history when you got this guy in the class about to shoot one of your friends right. or shoot you, yeah. or possibly just get up and knock out the teacher for saying something wrong to him. You know, I, I've seen all of it. You know, I've seen yeah. get knocked out cold but because of that one student that didn't care you know he was making more money than a teacher <laughs> you know wow, yeah like, yeah what the teacher gonna tell me that goes just like my mindset for school was just somewhere else and i was actually good at school i just 
I couldn't sit there and focus because I was too busy worrying about my little brother in his class period. Who's trying to jump on him or what is he getting his stuff into to where I'm going to have to protect him on the way home? You know, and, you know, there's a lot of violence and a lot of, you know, shootouts and gangs, man. So it's just like school was like something that I didn't really stick with because I started wanting to make money. Everybody was making money around me, but they were doing it illegally. So I started cutting hair and and I started working at a shoe store and coat of clothing and Gap and all these different places in these malls and things like that. And I got a job at Chrysler. And once all of that happened, it just, you know, years and years go by, you don't even think about it. You know, mm-hmm. you know here we are 30 years later, and, and, you know, and we have a pandemic, which is like a blessing in disguise for somebody like me. So it gave me the time to sit down and actually go back and, and take care of it. I've been wanting to do it for so long, but even after I won America Got Talent, I was just too busy to to uh, take the time to do it, whether it was online or anything. I'm always doing interviews, you're always signing autographs, talking to people in the studio, you know, rehearsals, everything. Then you gotta have your normal family life. So it's just, it's just I didn't have the time to do it. Yeah, uh, yeah, we, we saw that this week. First of all, congratulations! That, that's yeah. an awesome, like that's like like a life achievement. You feel like you kind of went back and and secured something that you know, like a piece of you kind of is complete now. So that, that's yeah. awesome. Um, yeah. Well, we actually so so you you had this like paradox of a childhood, right? West Virginia, like you said, like God's country, West Virginia, right? Then you go to, to Detroit, back to West Virginia. So that probably, I'm guessing, gave you such a unique perspective of life right you met so many different people and like that made and, and that, then you're singing you know frank sinatra music which is also yep. kind of like different like do you feel like yep. all these life things is kind of like what's made you who you are right i mean you credit that to all that diverse background exactly because you know coming from west virginia to detroit i got to see the best of both worlds you know yeah. country living in the city life you know the the respectable living and then you got the crazy hood life over here you know what I'm saying? Yeah. so i got the both worlds which you know i just put together and, and you know it made me who i am it put me on a path where i could decide what i wanted to do because i've seen the good and i've seen the bad it's just like okay the good looks a whole much better to me but to some people that bad looks quicker faster and better yeah you know but so, I just didn't want to do it. By the time I was 17, 18 years old, you know, half of my friends were in Jackson prison or dead. Right. So it's like, you know, and once I, I became a man, I was like, you know, 24, 25, I moved back here. And when I moved back here, all of that stuff that I had learned in Detroit, I came back here with, especially the mindset of like, the world is bigger than this. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. wow. Yeah. So, especially then after you win America's Got Talent, like you win prize money, right? I'm sure before it, you maybe had 15 cousins. Now you have 50 cousins. Like everyone's like, like, what's up? Trying to be on your team. We actually know someone, Kent Tackett, who was who we interviewed. Actually, he's actually my neighbor. And a fun little story for my family: you were playing. <laughs> you guys played a concert in our neighborhood, like like a month or two ago and my parents yeah. sat on the back porch and like listened to you guys um but but how have you organized your team like how have you like after all this whirlwind you got your touring around how how do you keep centered and how have you like navigated now like now you're 
you're getting booked and you're going to all these shows. Like what's do that? How's that been? Has that been challenging? Has that been fun? Is it stressful? No, it was actually really easy and, uh, and fun, you know, because uh, I, once I won, they, you know, they, they tried to put everybody around me. They gave me two managers, one Peter Rudge, Mike Matsumoto, you know, but at the time I was thinking like, I mean, these guys live so far away, they can't possibly know how I live. How are they going to help you? Know? Yeah. Right. So I came home and I got Burke Allen, my manager, and my lawyer, Robert Newman. You know, from this uh, company, and he went through all the contracts with me and everything, man. And, and I just stuck with them. And then once I won on America's Got Talent, I had to do Caesar's Palace for a year. But I got out of that contract because I didn't want to be in Vegas for a whole year. You know, with a chain to my ankle, like this thing, stuff all every day. I was just like, this is not my type of show. My show is like a if it's my show, I, I can call you and say, hey, man, you want to play the drums for me this weekend? Yeah. And, you know, I got a ticket for you to come to Vegas, man. You're in the surprise with me this weekend. That's called being your show. But the way the show they put me back on once they once I won was they brought back all the acts that I had just defeated. And then they would all perform, and then I would come and, like, basically close the show. Right. You get a chance to talk to the audience. You couldn't shake nobody's hand, take pictures from people and stuff like that. They just whisked me away to my room and I hated it. Just like I didn't, I wasn't feeling that because I'm a personal type person. I like to, you know, be interactive with my fans and, you know, and thank them, congratulate them for actually giving me, you know, the lifestyle that I had. So it's just, just one of those things. So I, I got out of the contract, but right. After that, I said, I got to put a band together fast. So I, I went around West Virginia, and I got all these guys together. And I ended up auditioning Ken Tackett and all of them at the uh, Clay Center or something like that. And once I heard them, I was like, you guys are my band. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was like the best thing I heard. Just, you know, I've been everywhere. I've been in New York, I've been in Florida, California, Germany, Shanghai, China, everywhere. And I never heard nothing as good as these guys was at that time. So I was just like, yeah, you guys, you're working on me. So they just all been cool. And they all have jobs. They have stuff after, you know, a lot of them got PhDs in music from Marshall and WU and things like that. But but at the same time, they still want to play music. So we mm-hmm. all, you know, put everything around each other's schedules. You know, my manager kind of handles all of that and, and it works out just fine, you know. Can he'll go off and do a golf tournament for the PGA Golf Tour, and then he'll come back and play for me, you know. But when yeah. he leaves, he gave me a replacement guy by the name of Brandon Willard that can fill in for him. And Brandon can't fill in because he's got a school class. We got uh, the guy from the blue, Jesse, Jesse, uh, what's his last name? Jesse O, I think. But he's from the Blue Man Group. But he's a school teacher too here in West Virginia. So sometimes he me. So you just have all of these people, you know. Yeah. And, and the thing is, you know, just to allow people to use their 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 gifts and their and their dreams. You know, it's, it might be a you know a doctor that's sitting in there drilling in somebody's teeth, like a dentist or something, but he still wants to play the trumpet on the weekend. And I'm that guy, like, hey, hit me up. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah, yeah. And Ken, when we had. Ken on a couple episodes ago, and of course he's got such a 
a neat story too. And like you said, he's a PGA tour official, but he still says one of his favorite moments of all time is opening at the clay center. He said it was your first time coming back to Charleston, um, performing in Charleston, maybe performing in West Virginia after America's got talent. And he said the curtains opened and he's sitting behind you, just not sure what's going to happen. And he said it was the loudest roar. He's, he's been around, tens of thousands of people with these crazy gold and he said it was just the the loudest craziest roar and we've all you know cooper and i've been to the clay center we know it's not the big it's not a stadium it's a couple thousand but he said that that was one of his favorite moments of all time what do you remember from that can you confirm or deny is that really as loud as it was yeah it was crazy because uh like i said i just came back from my you know um I think this was before Caesars. It might have been after Caesars Palace. And so Caesars Palace, the Coliseum is built like the Clay Center, but it's even bigger. Yeah. But when I got to the Clay Center, it just shocked me that, you know, something so beautiful was in, like, you know, right here in Charleston, West Virginia. I was like, wow, look at this place. But, but just like he said, when the curtain opened, man, like the roar could have knocked us off the stage. Like just wow. the audience surprised and, and, and you know, they loved it. It was just like everybody just exploded. And we're all just sitting there like, you know, and it was like, let's go. It's time to go. Here they are. So we do it. And then the show sells out like six times in a row. I think I, I'm the only person that ever done that at the place. Wow. We, we sold it out six times in a row. Yeah, and that and that just goes, Lando. That goes to show, like West Virginians, we love we love supporting. It's like a unique thing. Like when you see another West Virginian out in the world, like doing good things, it almost feels like, damn, like hell yeah, like that's a piece of me out there, like proving it to yeah. the world that like like I'm wearing West Virginia jacket like shirt right now. Like, is that how is like have you you feel like you've embraced that because West Virginia feels like hey like you're we're so proud of you in that regard. Has that been? like fun to, to kind of fill that role when you meet people and they say, Hey, Linda, like if they don't know you personally, but they feel like they know you, has that been fun for you? Like, as you, you know, yeah. kind of famous. Yeah. That's always fun. And the crazy part about West Virginia is that we're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in Germany, I've met like a whole group of West Virginians just living over there, you know, in, in Shanghai, China, I went to Shanghai, China to the Mercedes Benz arena to, to do a fundraising performance for the Heart to Heart Foundation. And the guy who runs the Mercedes Benz Arena is from Parkersburg, West Virginia. <laughs> wow. His name was Michael Craig Enoch, man. He went to WU, everything, man. It's crazy. Like everywhere I go, I went, I did the biggest fair in America. The biggest state fair in America, I think, is the California State Fair. And I did that, man. And, and the first three rows were all West Virginia. <laughs> they flew they from West Virginia to come see that. That's what their shirt said. It said, we love West Virginia. It had a picture of West Virginia. And it said, Landau. Wow. And I couldn't wow. blew my mind. I was, I was on stage at that time with the Doobie Brothers or somebody. Like, it was I like crazy. it. I could not believe it. I was like, wow. Yeah. West Virginia, they're everywhere. And, and and even you just telling your story of how you collected your band. I mean, even you kind of have that, share that same sentiment. I mean, a lot of the guys that you, you perform with that you get to pick, like you said, are guys in the backyard. You know, those are the guys that you wanted to play with you. And that's good for the fans and that's good for the people of the state, you know? So when we travel together, 
you know, it's all West Virginia love. We take it everywhere we go. We, we you know, we basically kill people with kindness. <laughs> you know, I love it. yeah. They love us for it. You know, it's not even just me getting all the things and you know, and the, and the praise or whatever. But you know, Ken will get it. Brandon will get it, or Dale, or Dwayne, my pianist. Everybody like. And I take these guys everywhere I go, at least a nine piece, you know, like three horns, you know, the rhythm section, stuff like that. And that's just to scale it down because we actually have like 18 piece orchestra right now, basically. So it's just like, but when we go on tour, you know, to save me money, I'll scale it down to like maybe nine and then go through the music game and hire some other guys. And then some of those guys are from Kentucky, Ohio, you know, they might be living in California though. Yeah, yeah. What's what's the plan now? I mean, you said like this pandemic and, you know, for folks listening, if, if you've been fortunate enough to not been like directly affected by it, maybe with with health or loss of job. It, honestly, it has been a time for people to slow down and maybe like reflect and like like you like knocked out your degree. What's what's um what's next? Are you looking at anything this fall? This what you got any plans or just kind of rolling right now? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm still trying to, you know, do my Christmas tour, but, you know, just the way everything's going, it's not, you know, guaranteed. You know, I was supposed to actually be in, like, Bush Gardens right now, you know, doing a $100,000 show. Yeah. Wow, you know, yeah. You miss out on all of that. I, everything got canceled, you know. There's a lot of shows that I had here. I had one in Clarksburg, Parkersburg, you know. All of that's supposed to happen, like, right in a, like a month from now, but I don't know if it's all going to happen. A lot of it has been pushed back, you know, and we just staying safe and staying healthy. I mean, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, then I'll be doing some videos, that, you know, doing that thing like I did in your neighborhood. That's, that's yeah. why I did that because I knew all of this was happening. So we went ahead and knocked that out just to have something for my fans, you know, once everything shuts down. So we're actually going to put that DVD out. Really? That's, cool. That sounds awesome. And I also finished uh, my my fourth album live at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas, you know, on my birthday. So that's a nice. album that's supposed to come out. It's supposed to be out around April, but um, during this pandemic, we're just trying to figure out which was the perfect time to actually put it up because we can't pack arenas, you know, or, or right. anything like that right now. So it's it's kind of hard to like do anything unless it's like virtual. And you know, I've done uh, virtual concerts for uh, essential workers and things like that, and just mm-hmm. for my fans directly to them. You know, I do a lot of birthday greetings and you know stuff like yeah. that. Birthday yeah. people go to weddings and sing a couple songs, stuff like that. Just to try to stay busy, but stay at the same time. I like that because you've, you know, it's seemingly you, you know, you've quote unquote, like you've made it big. You you could have took the attitude, a lesser person would have been like, all right, well, you know, I, this is just this new me now. I'm only getting booked at these places. But you're like, nah, like, I'm going to do those, you know, those grand shows, but also 
those like intimate connected like community driven like be connected with your fans like so i mean you should i mean that's awesome that you should be like proud of yourself for like staying connected to where like you know you came from i mean not like abandoning it yeah that's what made me those intimate singing in those nursing homes is it's what groomed me it's it's what made me you know being homeless is another part of it that that made me you know understand and, and respect you know the the journey, you know, because you can fly through this. I could have sprinted through all of this, and then y'all could be sitting there asking, and I'd be like, I don't even remember, man. I don't, yeah. I don't know what happened, man. I was so high at <laughs> that time. And it was, it was sweet, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I told everybody around me, I was like, this is not a sprint. We're about to run a marathon. We're going to run a marathon. It's going to take us a lifetime to do it. Yeah, I love it. So I want to I I see everything that passed, every bit of it, every fan, every state, every city, every little town, every little kid that comes up to me and wants an autograph. I want to remember every bit of it. I don't mm-hmm. want to stop by. Yeah. You know, so it's just like stay grounded. That's, that's how you got to look at it. And, you know, um, moving back home was, I think, the best thing for me because everything was moving so fast and all these new strange people was coming around. So it's just like, no, I got to get back to my roots before they tear me apart. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, all of this protects me. All this mountain and mud and sticks protects me, man. <laughs> uh, it's real, man. I, yeah. I believe in that, man. It's real. So. so I love it, man. And just, you know, as long as I can continue to uh, entertain everybody and, you know, uh, be able to give back because that's the, the the biggest part about it is you know to take your blessing and pay it forward. So mm-hmm. yeah, we sleep better at night. Yeah. Um. Well, I love asking people that we have on here that are, have a bunch of connections if they have connections to other West Virginians. The the late Bill Withers. Did you <laughs> get a chance to meet Bill before he passed? And what was your relationship with him like? Yo, Mr. Bill Withers, still Bill. He was amazing, man. Very intelligent and he was no nonsense but he you know he was very funny too he was like a comedian yeah but he wasn't like he wasn't like he was trying to be but he was just funny that guy was funny i mean we was like inducted to the west virginia hall of fame and um he almost got us kicked out of it Yeah, I was gonna skip that up. It's funny, man. I wish I could say what he said, but I know I can't. It was the We're like sitting there, and um, it was a guy, you know, the steel drum, the Jamaican steel drum. Yeah. The guy who invented that was actually there with us, and I guess he was living in Bluefield or Lewisburg or something. And he, he could barely speak English, so he had an interpreter and everything. But his interpreter didn't, wasn't the person who like introduced him to all of us like on stage. They made Bill do it. So Bill just basically ran through all this stuff like, yeah, you know, the steel drum. Yeah, the, the, the drum, y'all know about the drum, the African drum, he invented that. I mean, he's going through these cars, and it's so funny. I'm standing on the side of the stage, rolling like, "Oh my God, this man!" Because the man is like sweating and mad right now, because 
feels not giving him the praise that he really wants. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's saying all his accolades, but he's just doing them deals right. Like he, <laughs> That's yeah. fine. Yeah. The guy comes on when he walks out, Bill introduces him to him when they like pass each other, like going off the stage. He turned to Bill and he said, I do not like the way you introduce me. That was <laughs> unprofessional. And he walked away, you know, and he went out to the podium and started doing his speech. And me and Bill kind of like looked at each other. And then we went on down and got him sit in our seat. And then Bill started like whispering to me, like, you know, this MF was saying to me. You know, he just started <laughs> telling me what he was saying and everything. We're laughing, like, we're laughing so loud. Everyone, shh, shh, audience, like, shh. I'm like, it's him, it's not me. <laughs> it's him, it's the guy. <laughs> it's <laughs> Bill with you know, yeah, It's Bill's fault. He's got his so legs. He's just sitting there, but he keeps leaning into me, like, saying all this. Stuff about this man, it was just hilarious, man. And then, like, fast forward, I got to hang out with him, and I did his uh 81st birthday live on the levee, man. So, yeah, you know, uh, rest in peace to be with us, but man, I would love to tell that story to the fullest one day, man, like at a comedy show or something. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. he had me roll. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that's Great. funny. He was a great musician too, huh? He was. He was, <laughs> uh, yeah, he was awesome, man. He always told me. I mean, he was like one of the guys, and besides him and him and Patty Bill was the ones who told me, you know, sign everything, and don't worry about the money. It was just like, don't worry about the money. I mean, you got a gift, you got a talent, you gonna always get that. But just be nice, and remember all the moments. Don't let it just fly by you. Don't just be a person that just came and went, you know, make a difference, make an impact with everything that you have going right now. And I just live like that, you know, that's the way I live now. And, you know, Bill was one of the people who told me that. He's like, don't worry about them, just do you. And if you look at Bill Wither's career, you never even knew he existed. You just heard his music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and then mm-hmm. when you go back and look at his catalog, you're like, okay, did this guy make one bad song? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like not one bad song. Yeah, and it was, that... he only made like what two or three albums, and then he just kind of like went off into his own world. He was living in Lewisburg. Nobody knew that. Yeah, yeah. He moved to California. Yeah, yeah. But the guy is amazing, man. He's a great mentor too. Stay humble. Yeah. Yeah, it's so important because, I mean, for folks listening to it's, you know, you don't doesn't mean you have to be famous, but if you live that intensely every day and like, you know, maybe you didn't have a real job of real importance, right, but you influenced a lot of people and you're, you're you know, you're in the moment every day, people take note of that, whether no matter what your profession is, and you just, it's a better mental state to be in when you, I think you adopt that. So that's a beautiful lesson there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, Lando, man, I, I think we have uh, talked about a lot and, and we've really enjoyed this conversation with you, man. Um, hey, no problem. I think you guys were allowing me to share it, you know. For yeah. anybody out there that's just watching it, you know, just, just know that it's never too late to keep, you know, true to yourself and your dreams and your goals, man. You always got to put one step forward, you know, and always keep grinding. Just never stop because – you'll miss out on a whole lot of beautiful stuff that's in your life that's 
that's supposed to happen to you, but you you have this fear over here of people heckling you or or putting you down and all that. But those things are fuel to the fire that drives you. You know, because I, I I waited a long time to even take that platform because I was afraid of somebody picking on me or, or saying that I was, you know, not the best looking or too skinny or whatever, you know. But once I went walked out there, it was it was totally different. It was just like, wow. You know, and I know who the haters are, and I know why they hate, but thank you for hating because it just keeps me going. <laughs> yeah. That's that, that yeah. that's awesome. That's just yeah. beautiful and down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I lost Inspiring, it. Well, man. Yeah. Well, hey, guys, look, Lando, you're the winner of America's Got Talent. That, that was one moment in your life, but you're a wonderful man. You're a, a friendly guy. You do well for West Virginia. You represent the best in our state. Yep. Um, we're, we're glad we got connected with you today. And I think folks yep. listening to this are going to feel maybe a little bit deeper, you know, inside scoop on, on what makes you tick. And I think if you can implement a couple pieces of what we spoke about in everyone's life, I think they'll be better off for it, man. So we appreciate yeah. you coming on and uh, keep, keep doing what you're doing, man. Yes, sir. You too, man. You got to yeah. stay safe now. Thanks. Alrighty, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode. Um, it was, uh, I think you're going to walk away from that one, or at least I did, you know, with a, a good perspective of where Landau's coming from, but also your own life. All those messages of just like slow down, talk to people, really focus on what's important. Those are all little nuggets that I extracted from talking to him. He was couldn't be more down to earth than just a cool guy that you just want to hang out with. Um, so it was fun getting connected with him um, from our other former guest, Ken Tackett, and their whole crew that uh, they're living out their passions. And it's cool to see, it's cool to hear, and it's also inspiring. Yeah, and you kind of brought up a good point about, you know, letting things come to you and enjoying every second of life. I mean, this was a guy that found massive fame. You know, he wasn't in his 20s. He wasn't in his teens. You know, it was like, I mean, it was years after you, you kind of, figure out what your career what you want your career to be you know and, and ultimately for him it he hadn't quite found that and, and then of course he goes on you know America's Got Talent wins this thing and all of a sudden he becomes a, a superstar but what you can tell what you can feel in the way that he speaks is that he never changed he didn't let, let the fame change but at the same time he still shares that same message of follow your passions um, reach for your dreams never give up uh, but don't ever, when you do get there, don't let it change you. Don't let it change who you are and the message that you share and the inspiration and positivity that you spread. Another great interview, another one uh, down. Uh, and uh, let's let's keep it going, Coop. Good work. We've had a lot of fun so far, and we'll keep cranking these things out. It's been a lot of fun. We've got a lot coming up over the next couple of weeks. We've got some big ideas, so make sure to stay tuned right here with us on the Mountaineer Media Podcast. <laughs>